Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Ace Alex Cardinal Entertainment Network with your host, the crazy Alex Cardinal from Springfield, Massachusetts. You can expect the unexpected on the Ace Network. Now on to today's show. You are listening to the Alex Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. The Alex Cardinelli Show is a talk show that will talk about anything and everything from WWE wrestling to movie reviews to politics to even current news and events. You will get your entertainment and news sick. Alex Cardinelli promises to deliver a quality talk show that you will enjoy. Alex will share topics you want to hear with a young man's point of view. So what do you have to say? Do you, the listener, want a piece of the action? We'll get in on the action by calling into the talk show at 1-347-989-8142. Are you ready for a fun talk show? Then let's get on to Alex Cardinelli, who is live right now at Ace Network Studios. Take it away, Alex. Italian, right? Yes, I am. 100% full-blooded Italian. 
Me too. Cardinale and uh, uh, your last name. I, I, I can't pronounce your last name. How do you pronounce that? Piccarelli. Oh, I got it right. Yes, <laughs> I you did. I mispronounced it. I I was I was like, why are you even asking? I mean, you're one of the very few that actually gets it right. Trust me, I get a lot of people to say Ficarelli, Ficarelli. I'm like, it's not that hard of a last name, people. It really isn't. Yeah, <laughs> I tried it my first time. I I figured if I announced it the Italian way, I'd probably get it right. So I did. So I'm happy about that. Well, the reason why um, the reason why we're doing this obviously is to talk about you know the show, the Mad Scientist Sports Lab, and just to give everybody a little bit of background about it. I mean, you heard Alex give a quick summary, but a background on the show. I've been doing this for only three years now, and when I first started, I was a uh, substitute host for Right On Q Sports Talk, which was done by a very good friend of mine, Quinn Jordan, who actually entrusted me to be his uh, substitute whenever he wasn't available. And uh, me and him had a really good rapport, and we had this cockamamie idea that, hey, if the show is good, why don't we create a network? And within a couple of months, we created something called the Sports Chronicles Radio Network, and we had a bunch of shows all together, live every night, seven days a week, three hours a night, and we had some, we really did have something special. Uh, unfortunately, back in September of last year, I had to shut down the thread, the Sports Chronicles radio network because of a uh, falling out with, with a partner of mine. But sure enough, my, what do you call Sure enough, I decided to get back in the game quickly and created something called the Mad Scientist Sports Lab. I have been called the Mad Scientist of Sports because people don't know what I'm going to say on air, what kind of crazy ideas that may come into can come into the mind. And that's why my catchphrase is the beacons are lit, the experiments are on the chalkboard, and the test subjects come rolling in. Because you never know what you're going to get during my show. I've talked about everything from, you know, from anything – in sports world on the legal aspect in which I've had great guests like David Spellman and uh, Michael McClain, two very prominent lawyers in the New York area to talk about the NCAA, to talk about Aaron Hernandez, to talk about A-Rod, to talk about Barry Bonds, whatever it may be. I've had guests like Robin Vandenberg to talk about NASCAR, uh, Christian Schneider, Kate Moss, uh, I've just this past a few weeks ago, I had former Royals uh, great Willie Akins. I had New Orleans wide receiver uh, Marcus Colston one day. Last week I had NHL uh, goal scoring legend Bernie Nichols. This week I'm going to have former Texas Ranger and New York Yankee Billy Sample. So I have a very eclectic mix of guests, as you can say. And the one thing that the, the reason why this is done is because not there's a love, there's a passion, and it's because it's something I like to do. I love to talk sports. Always have, always will. And what you will get every Thursday night is nothing but the best. And I promise to the Ace Network listeners that when you hear my show on Thursday nights, you're going to want to come back for more. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting. There'll be a lot of laughs. There'll be some serious debate. And 
you will know why it's called the Mad Scientist Sports Lab. Awesome. It sounds intriguing. I can't wait to listen to these shows because uh, I know they're going to be great. Yeah, and what do you call it? The show that's going to be played tonight is going to be one of my better shows. And uh, it's almost as if, you know, it's it's very – how do we, how do you describe it in such a in such a way without without sounding like without sounding like I'm patting myself on the back here? It's you know <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. People don't understand. People think that they can get in front of a microphone, in front of a computer, or in front of whatever, go into a studio and just talk for two hours straight, you know, no problem, and think it's going to be easy. It's not easy. Trust me when I say that. And it takes a, it literally takes it takes me a lot of prep time, a lot of writing, a lot of questions, a lot of everything to make sure that the show runs smoothly. Does the show run smoothly all the time? Hell no. Everybody knows a show never runs completely hundred percent smooth. There's always gonna be a glitch somewhere along the line. That's another good thing. The mad scientist sportsman sometimes likes to improvise. And when we improvise, it's sometimes some of the best radio that you can ever have. So the beacons are now officially lit. The experiments are now on the chalkboard. All the test subjects are welcome into the Mad Scientist Sports Lab. Let's get the party started here on the ACE Network. Oh, I definitely agree with you. I'm ready to have a nice uh, sports party. You're actually my first sports show. And actually, uh, coincidentally, I had a lot of people asking me to do a sports show. So uh, actually, out of the blue, I saw your message on Monday morning. I was like, i got to get him on the Ace Network, and I, I figured it was the perfect time. Yeah, and it was, you know, I, it was funny because <clears throat> I know Alex through Facebook, and I always see him posting all over the place you know, posting all the podcast groups like I do. And I could see that, you know, I could see that he has a very, very heavy following, but the one thing that was missing was, you know, a sports network. So I introduced myself to Alex. As soon as Alex saw my name, he was like, I know this guy. I know I've seen this name before. And we started talking, and sure enough, within I think it was all maybe five, ten minutes, Bad Scientist Sports Lab is now syndicated. Is now syndicated on the Ace Network, and it would be cool. I think honestly, it's a perfect match. I mean, the eclectic. What I love about the Ace Network is that it's a very eclectic group of shows, and it would be cool. You have you go from one one end to the other end of the spectrum, and my show would fit right in there. You know, right in the middle somewhere. It can lean one way or the other, you know, depending on depending on the night, you know, that I have or anything like that. But I can pretty much tell you, it fits right. It fits right in very well with the Ace Network, and it's going to be a lot of fun listening for for the for the listeners every Thursday night at eight o'clock. Yeah, it's going to be great. I know you're. What, what are your favorite teams in sports? Well, I'm a diehard New York Mets fan. Yes, long-suffering New York Mets fan. Long-suffering. <laughs> New York Knicks fan, very happy right now, New York Ranger fan, and 
breaking away from the New York theme, I am a Minnesota Viking fan, very long-suffering Minnesota Viking fan. And what do you call People are like, wow, you just a glutton for punishment. And I was like, you know what, I wouldn't want to have it any other way because it doesn't matter if my team's winning or losing, I'm still going to bleed the colors of my teams. And it, what do you call And I just use that, you know, I just use that, you know, to add a little fuel to the fire when I go when I'm when I'm on talk show, when I'm on talk shows, because a lot of people also know me as a guest on many various talk shows as well. I I just I, you know, like tonight I happen to be a guest on Alex's show. I'm a guest on a you know people call me to ask me to ask me to be guest on their show, and I try to bring what I bring every Saturday night. I bring you know the humor, but I bring facts. You know, and I try to keep people, you know, and I try to keep people guessing. Now, with regards to my sports teams, yeah, I take my fair share of abuse about the Mets and the Knicks and the Rangers and the Vikings. I mean, I think everybody does when it comes to their favorite teams and stuff like that. But the one thing I I tend to do is I temper the homerism. Yes, I'm using that word, homerism, when I'm on air. I mean, there are a couple of times where I will, like, go to bat for my favorite teams or stuff like that, but I pull no punches, especially if something – is going horribly wrong that should that that should be rectified by the organization that I root for. Trust me, if I could have told you how many times I railed against the Wilpons, I railed against the Minnesota Vikings coaching staff, I railed against James Dolan, the owner of the of the Knicks, and Glenn Sather when he was really sticking up the joint as the general manager of the Rangers before everything got turned around. Trust me, I hold nothing back when it comes to that. So, but hey, I'm a sports fan. Not only do I talk sports, I love sports. And I wouldn't want this any other way. Yeah, that's that's kind of true. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm actually a New York Yankees fan and a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, so I know how it feels to, to like teams that aren't really good. Well, you you had your nice little like twenty five year run with the New York Yankees from like nineteen ninety nineteen ninety four until actually um, twenty years until like two until two thousand twelve or something like that. I mean, you would do it was like it was a great one with Joe Torre, Derek Jeter, uh, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, Bernie Williams, the whole lot of them, all, the whole lot of them. I mean, Tampa Bay, eh, well. At least you have the number one pick this year, and they're going to get Jameis Winston and probably be the better quarterback and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm kind of hoping the Buccaneers will get Marcus Mariota instead, but I think it's going to be Winston as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. What do you call? What I'm very interested in is to see what happens with Marcus Mariota because there have been rumors that he's going to go to Tennessee or Tennessee's going to trade out and get what do you call trade out with the San Diego Chargers in which it will be one of the most busted trades that the NFL has seen for a very long time. Or he might actually slide down to number six and end up as a New York Jet. So Mariota, what do you call There's also some rumors which are pretty much unfounded that Washington may bring him in at number five to replace RG3, which, you know, I'll just never get, you know, with regards to that. I mean, personally, I think RG3 is actually – a pretty dang good quarterback. He's just got to, you know, just got to give the guy time, you know, give the guy time and, you know, have him properly coached. A lot of people call him, to, you know, call him to be a prima donna. Well, if I remember correctly, his rookie year was one of the best rookie years anybody ever had. 
just not his problem. That his knee got shredded, his mechanics got shot because of the knee injury, and you know the coaches never gave him a chance. So we'll see what happens. So we'll see what happens with that as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I wonder which team can make the playoffs first: the Yankees or Mets or the Vikings and Buccaneers. Oh, pretty cool. I'm hoping the Vikings will pretty cool. After the Adrian Peterson uh, situation that happened last year, they still to still finish seven and nine. I really do feel that we're going to be just, that we're going to be just fine the, this year. Peterson apparently has been reinstated, even though his uh, agent's been uh, banging the drum to try to get him traded. The Vikings seem to have all the cards in play more than uh, Adrian Peterson's agent. I really feel that you know Peterson will suit up for the Vikings this year. He will run for oh a good fifteen sixteen hundred yards. I really love Teddy Bridgewater, right? You know, at quarterback right now, really showed a lot of maturity last year. So hopefully he doesn't have a sophomore slump. Uh, definitely on the defensive side, we're still lacking in the, in the defensive secondary. Hopefully that can be masked this year because by the, the, we have a pretty pretty good front seven. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like I like baseball, but a little bit more than football. How about you? Which one do you like the best? I love football. Football's my football's my number one sport. What do you call it? baseball? I like. I used to love baseball, but let's be honest. You can't sit in front of a TV for three three and a half hours with a very slow place of pay for 162 games and not get bored with it. With football, you know it's. You know your favorite team's playing once a week. You get up for it, go crazy, go nuts. And, you know, you just can't do that at a baseball game. Or watch it on TV, for that matter. Yeah, you got a good point. Plus, the football has a really big Super Bowl at the end of the year, which is a lot bigger than the World Series, in my opinion. Well, don't get me wrong. When it comes to playoffs, for some reason... I can, you know, it just seems any sport, and I'm not just saying for baseball or football or anything like that, but any sport, when it comes to the playoffs, it's always edgy your seat time. And people seem to gravitate more, you know, when the playoffs come around. Whether it's your favorite team or it's your average show fan, whenever you see the playoffs, it's always, you know, you know, top-notch sports watching, whether you're at home, you're at the ball, you're live at the game, it doesn't matter. It's just that, you know, you get to see the passion, the, you know, the, the craziness come out in, in in the fans and, you know, how they hang on every last inch of their seat, you know, during a, during a, during a game. I mean, I'm, just last night, what do you call I, I was watching the Nashville Predators, versus the Chicago Blackhawks, game one, Western Conference playoffs, double overtime, sudden death, you know, sudden death goal to win the game. And it was one, you know, I don't like the Blackhawks or the Predators. Like I said, I'm a New York Ranger fan. And I was at the edge of my seat watching that game with some great plays by both, by both sides. Those are the types of games that, you, you, that, that make you want to be a sports fan. Yeah, I love the playoffs, too. Playoffs are the best time of the year for any sports fan, whatever sport it may be. You've got a good point there, and I definitely agree with it. Thanks. Well, I just wanted to say, but before I get going, 
thank you very much for, again, allowing me to be a part of the Ace Network. I hope not to disappoint the fans of the Ace Network with my show. And if anybody has any, what do you call if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at NAF underscore FSW Sports, or you can find me on, you can, you can find me on Facebook as well. But Alex, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this. And uh, let's get the ball rolling. All right, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, I think it's time to hear our very first episode of Mad Scientist Sports Show. So what do you guys say? Let's hear our first episode of Mad Scientist Sports Show, and uh, thank you so much for being on the Ace Network every Thursday, Nick. So it's an honor of mine to have Nick on the Ace Network. So we're going to go ahead and hear the first episode of the Mad Scientist Sports Show. Alex is out on Thursday, and you'll see Nick here on Thursdays. Again, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, the mad scientist Nick Ficarelli here live on Fantasy Sports Warehouse via Blog Talk Radio. After two weeks being away, just want to say thank you to Brandon Medeiros from GMB Sports for subbing for me these last two weeks. Feels good to be home, back in the lab of the mad scientist sports lab where the beacons are lit, the experiments are on the chalkboard, and the test subjects are already rolling in. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very big show for you tonight, and what better way to start than with these two gentlemen, as we're going to be talking about Major League Baseball. First up, joining us, the head of the Fan Up Network, brand new, top of the line, daily fantasy site, something to see very, very close to in the not-too-distant future. Ladies and gentlemen, the head of Fan Up Network, Mr. Eric DeWolf. Eric, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, just uh, hopefully watch my Phillies pull this out against the Nationals. But uh, you know, they're just glad to be on the show. Appreciate the invitation. No problem. And the second gentleman with us, he really needs no introduction, so I'll give him one anyway. You've probably heard him live and pretty much uncensored in Sarasota, Florida, on the former WTMY, the sports fanatic. He was one of the co-hosts of one of the more popular shows down there called The Sports Ministry. I happen to be one of his manic callers every every day, practically. But what do you call it? Since then, he's now a very successful softball coach. But his heart still lies in the beautiful game of baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, the man of the sports ministry, a very, very good friend of mine, and the owner of the 2001 champion Hartford Hooligans, Mr. J.P. Muzio. J.P., how are you doing tonight? I knew the Hartford Hooligans were going to come in, and I appreciate the great introduction, Nick, and I am doing great, buddy. I can't wait to talk some baseball. Well, let's start with the news that came out today, J.P., which 
for some reason it doesn't shock me because it is our beloved New York Mets. Jeremy Jeremy Mejia suspended 80 games for steroids. I, I'm starting to feel that if you're a pitcher for the New York Mets, you're just bound to be cursed. Nick, uh, first of all, when Mejia didn't come in opening day because of an elbow soreness issue and he couldn't loosen up, I was fully expecting him to be gone for the year. They put him on the 15 DL due to some, you know, tightness in his forearm or tightness in his elbow and, and nothing major. But I knew he would not pitch for the Mets this year. When this came across this morning, it, oh, this afternoon, it meant absolutely nothing to our season because nobody that bleeds Mets blue and orange like me and you really thought that Mejia would be on that mound before July to begin with anyway. So him getting suspended is a blessing in disguise, and we will find that closer, and it will mean nothing to us, and I am not worried about this one bit. Now, Eric, being that you are part of the fan-up network and stuff like and stuff like that, when you hear news like this in Major League Baseball, what does it do for someone that wants to do something, you know, with your site if they're looking for, like, certain players or, or anything like that? The only reason why I ask is because when you do DFS or daily fantasy sports and stuff like that, you know, you're always going to take a risk. And I have to ask, I know you watch baseball, you know, like a religion. As a fan, does, does this always throw up, like, a red flag, especially when it comes to the game of baseball? Well, of course, um, and you know, unfortunately, uh, being a baseball lover my entire life, um, you know, you hate to see the sport take another black eye, right? Uh, and the public in general, I think, has uh, lost trust in the sport and it's starting to come back. But you know, of course, you're going to have suspensions every now and then. Um, I mean, and as far as the site, the, the great thing about our site or our app will be that uh, users will get updates from uh, reporters and so, uh, through social media in real time. Uh, and so it will give you the chance to get the information as soon as possible to give you more time to adjust your lineups or or uh, make the necessary adjustments, uh, especially now with daily sites and, and, um, and other fantasy leagues that, you know, uh, baseball fans are working with every day. Um, you know, but it, you know, for me, it's it's disheartening just to see uh, another PED suspension um, with Major League Baseball. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, nobody wants to see that, right? Uh, I, I'll tell you, Nick. Wait, Nick, real, real quick. But what I will say, and, and for someone that plays fantasy as well, but in the baseball realm of this. I don't think this is a bad thing for baseball because what this shows us is that their testing is real. The testing is stringent, and they're not going to allow guys to take anything that is on the banned substance list. So when they do stuff like this, and when these come across, yeah, you know, for for a Mets fan, we look at it and go, oh, great, one of our guys is down. But you know what? I also look at it as a baseball fan and say they really are cleaning up the sport. This is not a sport that said like it used to, lip service of how we want a clean game. They mean it these days. They are not screwing around. Irvin Santana, Familia, I mean, um, uh, Mejia, these two guys, you know, 
both come from you know places where these kind of things are legal, where where, where these, right. these drugs are over the counter. So you know you realize you play an American sport. We have a, rules that we're going to be stringent on, and we're not going to allow this to happen anymore. We're not going to let a rods happen anymore. We're not going to let you know Sosa's, Maguire's. We're not going to let that happen. I applaud baseball. I really do, and it does suck as a baseball fan to see guys get suspended for 80 games, but I applaud baseball for being stringent with their testing, for cleaning up the sport, and doing a hell of a job, and no other sport, no other sport does what baseball does when it comes to, you know, these kind of things. Well, that's probably true. I was about to say, speaking of A-Rod, I found it kind of sort of comical and also a little bit sad that his first at-bat, you know, he got a standing ovation from New York Yankee fans. I mean, there were a few bluebirds out there, which was to be expected. But this is a guy that was pretty much caught red-handed and was vilified. And I mean vilified. Here in the, you know, in the New York area, a lot of fans were saying he doesn't deserve to come back and everything like that. And yet, as soon as he, his name was announced, I just sat there and I was stunned. And I mean stunned. With Well, not saying, only was he vilified, I mean, but and found, you know, all the PED stuff. But then the lawsuits and the arrogance on top of it, uh, you know, I mean, he went to like another level, I think, over the other PED guys uh, because of, you know, just his level of arrogance about it seems, uh, I don't know, just unreal to me. But, yeah, it's surprising to see people embrace him now, really. I, listen, I don't know if you're a Phillies fan. I'm a Mets yeah. fan. Nick's a Mets fan. Does anything Yankees fans do surprise you? They care about winning. It doesn't matter if the guy is shooting up on first base. If he helps them win, they're fine with it. I mean, that that's just the way. And the Yankee fans, and I'm not knocking them, because if my team was winning using performance-enhancing drugs for all these years like the Yankees have, and we know it's true with Clemens, and, and there, don't tell me Paul O'Neill doing anything. Giambi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those, exactly. yeah. they were giving out big contracts to these guys, and they knew what was going on. So A-Rod coming back, he's the best power hitter they have on that team. There is nothing on that team that's interesting. A-Rod is still interesting. If you're a Yankee fan, you're grasping at straws right now. It's great for us other fans to watch this happen, but I'm not surprised by it. The forgive whole thing that's going on in Yankee Stadium with the, you know with the back with a 13 going on in between forgive, it's another marketing ploy because they have nothing to market right now. Gregorius is the jeter. Yeah, this is where they're sitting right now. So they have nothing else to do as a Met fan, as a baseball fan. Let the Yankees celebrate A-Rod. It makes me feel great. That's all you have right now. Right. And and how many people have said, he's not a real Yankee, you know, five years ago. That's all you heard. He's not a real Yankee anyway. Now they're embracing him. Here's the thing that struck me odd, though. And being that we are all baseball fans, throwing out, you know, throwing out the, uh, the homerisms and everything like that, how weird was it for you on opening day, which to us baseball fans is a national religion, but how weird was it for you on opening day not to see number two playing shortstop in a Major League Baseball game? Because i got to be honest with you. 
much as I hate the Yankees, and everybody knows I hate the Yankees, but it <laughs> felt weird when Gregorius went out to play short, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, reality has just set in. Derek Jeter is no longer playing baseball. The face of Major League Baseball, for literally, no joke, the last 10 years, is no Easy, longer yeah. playing. It was a little bit, to me, it was bittersweet because now I'm like, okay, we do have a new face of Major League Baseball. Actually, really excited about it with Mike Trout because, you know, when Jeter exited stage left, people are looking for the next, you know, for the next face of baseball. Right. Mike Trout, to me, right now is that face. You're talking about 23 years old, already an MVP, two-time MVP runner-up, you know, a guy that reminds me, and my dad said it best, he reminds me of what Mickey Mantle was back in the 1950s without the booze and the women, of course, and stuff like that, but playing the game hard, playing the game right, and playing the game with fun. And I'm going to start with JP, and then I'm going to go to Eric on this. Did you feel the same way when you didn't see the number two playing short for the Yankees? And do you also feel the same way about Mike Trout now being the face of Major League Baseball? Well, you know, I enjoyed Derek Jeter. I mean, there's not a baseball fan in this planet that didn't enjoy and appreciate what that man brought to the sport. But – I don't, and Trout is a great player, and I'm not by any means going to knock Mike Trout. I think he's phenomenal. But what baseball is and the era we're in now is about pitching, and I love it. I absolutely do because it's a different way, and it's what baseball wanted when it got rid of steroids. Pitching is at the forefront. Clayton Kershaw, Matt Harvey, Steven Strasburg, these are the guys that are going to carry the torch for the next five to ten years because this is where baseball is going, and it is going there with you know, with unbelievable ferocity, and and I enjoy it because watch these guys pitch. Every fifth day, there's excitement on the mound. Kershaw, yeah, he got banged around a little bit today. He didn't look great in opening day, but we none of us will say that there's a better pitcher in baseball right now than Kershaw. Matt Harvey, the excitement that he comes, not just to Mets fans, but to all fans, that yeah. guy has a national holiday every fifth day when he comes to the mound because it's exciting. There are so many great pitchers under the age of 26 in baseball right now. This is the era we're in. Mike Trout is an amazing ball player, but the face of baseball lies on the pitching mound. And I am excited about it because I love a pitching duel, and it's something that is so different than what we have seen for the last 20 years. Eric, I pose the same question to you. Well, it, you know, obviously it's strange to see Jeter not there. Um, for me, and not being a Yankee fan, I was kind of glad to see him move on because it's almost like the Kobe thing. You hate to see the guy ending his career the way the team was going, you know. So I was glad to be able to see him leave on his own terms, basically. Uh, and as far as the faith, uh, Trout, but, I, you know, I really think, we're going to see an ascension of uh, Harper with the Nationals. Uh, you know, I really think he's going to turn things around and start to reach some of that potential. And also, I'm excited to see what happens with, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Yassiel Puig. Um, you know, he's just so 
athletic and almost like this wild bull. You know, I'm interested to see what happens when he kind of learns the finer pieces of the game. <laughs> Stops making base ring errors. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think those guys, and, you know, of course you went through the pitchers, are going to be that next generation that capture fans' imaginations. You know, and I hope that they can stay with their teams for a significant period of time because uh, I think that helps, too, uh, you know, as far as Jeter being with the same team for so long. You know, it, it helps for people to get invested in somebody that they know is going to be there. Next question I have for you guys, and obviously, you know, we're now heading long into baseball season. You know, first week's just about in the books. And obviously, we all do fantasy sports. And uh, although, as JP knows, I retired from fantasy baseball a, couple, uh, a few years ago, but I got to ask you. Well, first, I, again, I'll start with JP, and then I'll go to go to Eric. I know you're probably in a few leagues, as you always are, and you know, carrying the banner, you know, of uh, of, of us. Uh, I can't believe I, I can't believe actually I'm saying this of us old timers because you know this is, you know, we've been doing this for God knows how long together. But besides doing the yearly leagues that we that you know that we always do, have you gotten into the daily fantasy craze? And if so, do you see a huge difference? And if not, is there any trepidation as into why you would not be a part of the daily fantasy craze? Well, as someone who remembers 1986, starting with Stratomatic, and that was. <laughs> eight years old, nine years old is where I started. And then doing mail-order leagues where I got my roster, had to put my rosters in on a Thursday to have them in for the next week through the mail, and we know how that worked. I've been playing fantasy sports for well over 20-plus years now. How could I not be getting into the daily leagues? They're so much fun. I mean, it's exciting. It's so different, but it's instantaneous. I mean, I could sit there today and tell you I picked – you know, this lineup, and then tomorrow say, you know what, scratch that, I screwed up, I'm going to start over today. It is so much fun. I mean, what we've done or where we've come in fantasy sports is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. We have instant, the Mejia thing. Let's just put Mejia out there, right? By 4.30 this afternoon, 5 o'clock, everybody knew and read 50 different outlooks on the Mejia thing. That's phenomenal. I mean, that is so amazing. How do you not, if you're a baseball fan, if you're a sports fan, how do you not get wrapped up in these daily fantasy leagues if you're into it? They don't cost you anything. You're talking you could do a dollar a day, you can do $2 a day, and if you get stupid like I do sometimes, you'll drop 50 in a day. But it's so much fun, and, you know, you know if you make a mistake, you could recoup it the next day. You know, you, exactly. I don't even look at it, in, and I don't even look at it in the gambling aspect. It's the fun aspect. If I go to a bar to watch a couple of games, I'm dropping 20 bucks on a couple of beers and watching some games. If I'm staying home, I could drop 10 bucks, even less, and do fantasy and still enjoy every game. That's the fun part of it. I love it. I think it's great. And if people aren't embracing it, they're making a huge mistake because once you do it, you'll do it again and again and again. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Now, Eric, knowing that you started up the Fan Up Network, you know, which, you know, is getting into the DFS craze. And with the power with the power of social media as it is these days, 
let the people know exactly exactly what FanUp Network really is and how it can help you in the DFS era, as we're calling it. Okay, okay. Well, FanUp Network basically is going to be a a dashboard um, for, you know, you can play fantasy football on Yahoo, on ESPN, on NFL.com, MLB.com. You know, you can play several different places. But what Phantom Network is going to allow you to do is to view all your teams in one place, okay? So on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, you'll be able to look at all your teams, you know, in a quick view in one place. And then you'll also be able to get real-time updates from reporters around the country who are on the field with these players um, coming in, you know, immediately so you can make adjustments and also have uh, injury reports and information from fantasy experts all, like I said, in one place. Uh, So it's really pulling three things together into one, basically to save people time and effort. So from the hardcore player, daily player, to the novice beginner could keep up, you know, pretty easily through the app. Um, and that was that was the goal. Uh, so really, like I said, it's, it's, I think of it as a dashboard and sort of a one-stop shop. Um, and the, the daily leagues will be uh, built in also. Uh, so, you know, with that craze, I think for for me with baseball, because you're managing your teams every day anyway, or at least looking at it pretty much every day, you know, I enjoy the daily leagues in baseball too because it just gives me something extra to uh, watch other games about. But I think for me the big difference really is in football, uh, you know, because you, you're so used to just having the one week and you think of the team as uh, the whole season where it's, you know, when you have that, one day, you know, a Thursday night game, you can go on and just play some little um, fantasy league game on a Thursday night. You know, it just sort of adds a little extra excitement for me that I normally wouldn't have in a football game, uh, whereas with baseball, I'm managing the team every day anyway. So, you know, it's just sort of a natural extension to go into the daily leagues. But that's what I've noticed so far. You know, JP, you might be shocked to hear this, but I have yet to get involved in the Daily Fantasy Leagues for either baseball or football. Uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> I know. What do you call it? It's sad for me to say that because I know besides you and Jared and the rest of, you know, and the, rest of the old crew, everybody start, everybody's doing it. It's just that, you know, the one drawback, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, though, you mentioned, like, you want to do it for fun and take away the gambling aspect of it. So me being the devil's advocate and being the mad scientist that I am, you know, people, you know, if they get into the craze, yeah, you can do, like, dollar leagues and stuff like that. But in the long run, it actually adds up a lot. And I've already seen, I've already seen some stories where people blow through, like, $100, 200 to $500 a day playing so mm. many fantasy leagues, so many fantasy sites and stuff like that, on so many different sites. We all know the rule, the rules right now is FanDuel and DraftKings, There's a, and a couple, there are a couple more startups and everything like that. But I think for me, if I needed to get started in DFS, in, in DFS or, so, or something like that, I need to, you know, start maybe in, a, you know, the, the free rolls. And I know there's free rolls out there. Mm. 
just to get my feet wet yeah. into, into it because I could pick the best lineup, you know, using the salary cap or whatever they may be and so, or something like that, and then have it blow up in my face, you know, as soon as, like, someone goes two-thirds of an <laughs> inning three, and gives them eight runs or something like that because we all know that happens with me and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, Michael Connor. Another thing, ladies and gentlemen, I do jive JP about not winning a championship since 2001. He's got one more title than I do. I'll just leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. That's just in that league, all right? And we, we're going to get into that later. But, Nick, what I will tell you is, and I know you being an avid coffee drinker and you work you know, some crazy hours, how much do you spend on a cup of coffee a day? How many Do you send, uh-huh. go over to Starbucks and drop some money on a, on a – Whatever the hell they call it, a frappuccino, or whatever, you know. And that no, I, don't, I don't go that far. I don't go that far, but I do spend, I would say, two and a quarter on a cup of coffee a day, right? A day. Okay. If you found, yes, if day. you go on FanDuel right now, and I'll just use FanDuel because it's the most popular dollar game, where it's against you know twenty other people, and there's a ninety dollar pot or you know whatever, however they do it, right? Or go against a hundred people, and there's a ninety dollar pot, and you win. Let's just say you win, and I'm not even saying you should or you have to. And you win 25 bucks on that dollar. Is it killing you to lose that dollar to, for the chance to? If that's what you need, if that's what you need, that instant gratification of winning 25 bucks, and you're gonna bet a dollar on it. You're a smart guy, all right. You know sports, and, and I'm not gonna blow smoke up your ass anymore because you got what 15 other shows being you know simulcasted on a weekly basis. Every week, I see 25 other people picking me up. Good for you, Nick, and I congratulate you. But a dollar a day to play fantasy, or even if you decide every third day you're going to do a dollar, okay. it doesn't Nick, cost you anything. Yeah, Nick, let me help you out, okay? All right, come August. Well, I'll tell you what, in July, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you access to Phantom Network. You'll be one of our first users in July, all right? You're going to get information from experts. You go on FanDuel. You can play in a free league and toy with different experts' lineups that they give you, see which ones have the best track record, and then start, you know, putting money on the people, following people you feel comfortable with. And it'll all come right to you, right to your phone, you know. And well, look, look, at that. And, look at that, Nick. He's hooking you up. And not only that, stop buying your Dunkin' Donuts coffee and go buy your McDonald's coffee every once in a while and put that in your pocket, <laughs> all right, and you'll be fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, guys, Witty Cole, about to come to the end of the segment. So before we, before I let you go, obviously, Witty Cole, you got to say your goodbyes in your own special way. Eric, why don't you let the people know where they can find you on social media, and once again, just drop the uh, Fan Up Network. Okay. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at, uh, at Fan Up Network. Um, website's fanupnetwork.com. Um we're uh, launching in August. The app will be available in Apple Store, Apple uh, App Store, and Google Play Store. And I appreciate the time, Nick. Good uh, talking to you guys, even though you're Mets fans. Yeah, I can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Have a good night. All right. Dude. And, of course, i got to save you, best for last, my good friend. What do you call Again, I joke around with him a lot. Now, he's not only in one league. It's the one league that me and him, however, we're in together. And I always bust his chops because, you know, he, he always has a great team, and there's always something that happens every year. But when it comes to baseball minds and when it comes to talking about baseball, he's my go-to. Always has been, always will be. 
used to be the opposite end of the spectrum. He used to be the guy, and I used to be the caller and stuff like that. We will forever have that one time that we were on TV together, well, your face, my voice. But, you know, always having you on is always such a pleasure. And why don't you let the people know what you're doing now? Well, Nick, and I, I will say, first let me congratulate you again because, uh, you know, I am proud of you. You're doing an amazing job. The fact that you, you're getting picked up left and right means a hell of a lot to me. Um, you know, my, I remember starting my show and you being one of my first callers and my consistent caller. Not only that, but you're one of my oldest friends. Uh, I appreciated everything you did helping me out when I was getting started. So I will do anything and everything to help you out as you go on, and I congratulate you. But right now, listen, I have two kids. I coach softball on you know, six days a week. I still love baseball more than anything in this world. I love to talk about it. The fact that you give me a platform to do it every now and then. Would I love to host a radio show again? Sure. Do I have the time? Absolutely not. So doing this every now and then gives me that little bit of, like a, like an addict, gives me that little little hit that I need to get going. But this is so much fun. You're doing an amazing job. I support you in everything you do. And if you ever need me and you know where I am, I will help you out. And people, if you like this show, you know, make sure you tell your friends about it and, and spread the word because Nick is an unbelievable sports mind. I have never met anybody so into every sport. I mean, every sport. The guy even talks soccer, which just boggles my mind. You are phenomenal. Great job, Nick. And I enjoyed being on the show. And anytime you need me, you come get me. All right, buddy? No problem. Although, there is a rumor out there, before you go, that the hooligan of radio may be making an appearance sometime soon. True or false? Uh, Well, this is what I will tell you. In early May of this year, I will be heading down to Vegas to meet with the other hooligan of radio, and we will be discussing about doing a return to radio for his 40th birthday and the bash of Beyond Bashes with, you know, with and, and I will go different from sports. We're doing music, and we're doing hardcore music, but we're still going to have that hooligan vibe in the way we know how to do it, and it will happen sometime in May. I will say this. If it does happen, you must let me know. I will call in, and I will be unabashedly, uncensored, ready to rock. All right, Nick. I look forward to it, buddy. Have a good night, sir. You too, buddy. And continue the show. I love what you're doing, buddy. Thank you. That was J.P. Muzio and Eric DeWalt joining me for the first half hour of this show, talking nothing but baseball. Two very good baseball minds. Don't forget... As Eric said, in August, he will be launching the Fan Up Network. Don't forget to follow them on Twitter at fanupnetwork.com. Fan Up Network just happens to be on our website at Fantasy Sports Warehouse. And J.P. Muzio, what else can I say about him? I mean, I joke around with him a lot, but when it comes to baseball, the guy knows his stuff. Yes, he's an unabashed fan. Everybody's an unabashed fan. Who, who, who is it? But when it comes to, like, talking from A to Z, Nobody better, and I do hope to hear him back on back on radio at some time soon. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for our special guest segment, and I am honored and proud to introduce to you one of the greatest NHL goal scorers of all time. 
everybody that remembers, in 1988, 1989, 70 goals, 80 assists, 150 points with the L.A. Kings. He played for my New York Rangers for two and a half seasons. He took part in one of the most epic Stanley Cup playoff battles of all time, 93-94 Eastern Conference Finals, as he was a member of the New Jersey Devils at that time. And he also played for the San Jose Sharks and the Chicago Blackhawks. 473 career goals, a sniper personified, and yeah, he could drop them at any given point as well. One of the toughest guys that I ever watched played, and he's on my show tonight. Not only to talk hockey, but to talk about his brand new website that he's putting together, as well as an app called All Sports Market. Ladies and gentlemen, NHL legend, Bernie Nichols. Bernie, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. So, take me back to, we'll talk a little bit about your career for a second. Take me back to the 88-89 season. I believe that was the first full season that you played with the great Wayne Gretzky. You were on the same line with him. What was it like playing with Gretzky and putting up the numbers? Because they were crazy numbers that season for you. Was the best year, you know, it was it was your career year, but what was it like playing with the great one himself? Well, I think it started in August when uh, I first heard we traded for him. Uh, I was actually up in, in Lake Tahoe. They have that celebrity golf uh, thing every year, and I was up playing in it, and I heard about it. And obviously, you're thrilled to death uh, having the opportunity to play with Wayne and uh but I, I never played necessarily with him. We're both centermen, uh, but we played the power play together. We killed penalties. I had eight short-handed goals that year, and I'm pretty sure Wayne was in on all eight of them. So, but uh, like I tell people, and seriously, like it, it's so tough to explain how it is playing with Wayne. It's like I say, it's like Christmas Day every day. You know, it really is. He he, he was so much fun to play with, and uh, I hung with Wayne every day. Uh, every road trip we went on, uh, he took me out to dinner. I was, I was Wayne's shadow basically for a whole year, and it was it was pretty cool. Now, when you came to the New York Rangers, you actually were on the uh, 1991-1992 President's Trophy season. Uh, you were one of the leading goal scorers, top three in scoring for the for the Rangers. Unfortunately, uh, during that during that during that, that playoff season, the Rangers did suffer, you know, many injuries, uh, and they were shocked by the Washington Capitals that year in five games. The following year, uh, you were tra- what do you call the following year you were traded to the, uh, I believe it was the San Jose Sharks, and then you went to the New Jersey Devils. And again, that '93 and '94 season, when the, when you played your former team in the Rangers, that seven game that seven game series was one of the most epic series of all time uh what what memories do you have from that particular from that particular season 93-94 as well as that play what do you call going into the um going into that seven game series because a lot of people also seem to forget you guys made it to the eastern conference finals that year after another epic seven game series in which it went to triple overtime uh, triple overtime in Game Seven against the Buffalo Sabers to move on to the next round. 
Yeah, we had, uh, you know, I tell everybody, that series may have been my favorite series I've ever played in, even though we lost. Um, you know, we had, I don't know if it was three or four games went into overtime, game seven. Just think about it, game seven in Madison Square Garden in New York. There, there's nothing better. And uh, it went double overtime, two great teams going at it. Uh, unfortunately for, for me, but uh, for uh, anybody listening probably tonight, they were all excited. Uh, Ranger, great series. I, I really thought we actually should have beat them in game six. I think we were up 2 nothing, uh late in the second period, and uh, we got caught in a bad change, and uh, they went down three on one and, and ended up scoring, and then, you know, uh, right off the bat, they score again in the third and score three more times. So, uh, But we had our chance. Still feel we were the better team, but uh, obviously we weren't. Uh, we had a great series, like you said before that. I think it was uh, game three or four in Buffalo. It was nothing, nothing. And we went four overtime periods in Buffalo. And uh, they beat that game. But, uh, you know, we had great goalie, Marty Brodeur. Uh, that series, it was uh, Hasek and Brodeur going at it. And it was great. Uh, but and then in the, the one you're talking about with New York, Mike Richter played unbelievable. Uh, as well as Marty. So that their series, for any New York fan, obviously, uh, I don't know if they would, of all the, the, the games they've been involved in or, or series, I'm, I'm thinking that may have been their favorite of them all, that, that one there against New Jersey. It, it was pretty good. Now, towards the end of your career, you played with the Chicago Blackhawks, and you had a renaissance in – the, what do you, I believe it was the 97-98 season, scored almost 30 goals. You played, what do you call, scored about 20 points in the playoffs. I mean, a lot of people, including myself, were saying this was vintage Bernie Nichols because as a hockey fan, I and also being that you were part of the New York Rangers, you know, I became pretty much invested in your career. You had some of the softest hands to ever touch a stick, and when you, you know, your wrister was one, was a thing of beauty, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, always seem to say, oh, this is the guy that scored 70 goals, you know, in 88-89. You know, prior to Kretzky being there, you were averaging 35, 40 goals a season, so it wasn't like, you know, you, you had that one year and everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, didn't know about this guy. But, I have to say, watching you play, you also played with grittiness and toughness. You weren't afraid to drop. You know, you weren't afraid to drop the gloves if anybody got on. You know, if anybody got under your skin, you know, or did something, you know, they shouldn't have, of course. And if it's hockey, it'll happen. That's going to happen. But yeah. you know, what was it about your game that made it unique? You know, that made it unique. You know, because the other good thing about you personally watching you play is you adapted to the time. I mean, you adapted to when it was like pinball wizard style with the Los Angeles Kings, the grittiness of the Devils, the what do you call it, what do you call it, the free flowing Western Conference style of the San Jose Sharks, and then back to grittiness, the the gritty style of the, of the Chicago Blackhawks. The way you adapted your game was superb. So, how was it for you adapting to each you know each team that you went to? Well, I think as a player, uh, you know, I think 
before my my big year, I went up on goals. Um, I I know at the first year I got hurt, uh, but the first year I I only played uh, 22 games, so I wasn't uh, necessarily a rookie yet, and I had 14 goals there. Uh, My rookie season, I got hurt. I ended up with 28 goals, but then I think I went up. I went up to like 41, uh, 45, 47. Uh, So that part of the game came came pretty easy for me, you know, and then obviously having Wayne come and uh, the year I had that year was, you know, everybody's career, they're going to have their one magical year. Uh, you you like to duplicate as much as you can, but for the most part, also you, you kind of adjust as a player, you know, you, you want to be an all uh, rounded player, you know, uh, be able to play in any situation. And one thing about it, when, when I played in, Back in the day, it was uh, the Smythe division. They were kind of a run-and-gun division. You got the Oilers, you got the Flames, you got Vancouver, kind of a high-powered offense over in the West. And, you know, now when I go to New York, there there was a Patrick division. It was a a physical 2-1 checking defensive style of game. And, player, you got to adjust to that. Uh, You know, hopefully your good players can do that. Uh, You want to be able to kill penalties. You want to be able to block shots. Uh, you want to be able to do all the little things to help your team win. And uh, as a player, that's what you strive to do. And, uh, you know, like, like we talked about uh, with 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 L.A., it was, you know, run and gun to get as many as you can. I, I know when I went to New Jersey with Josh Lemaire, I, I learned a lot from Josh, and I was an older player by then, but you're still learning. You're learning every day. You, uh, here's a guy that won, I think, 10 Stanley Cups with Montreal. A, a lot of knowledge that he could pass on to to, to, to players and you know for me you're you're sponge you, you want to take it all in you just you try to improve you try to be better every year and you, you try to uh work on any part of your game to make you a complete player and, and i think i was fortunate enough to be able to do a lot of that now when it came to when it came to playing for jacques Lemaire, you mentioned that you know 10 stanley cups a left-wing rock playing defensively and everything like that. A lot of people also seem to forget, you know, that you were one of the better defensive, you know, defensive centermen, especially on the, uh, what do you call on the penalty kill. And because, again, a lot of people think Bernie Nichols, almost 500 goals, you know, offensive, you know, offensive player. But, when it came to penalty kill, if there was a what do you call it, it seemed to me whenever, and I remember this very well from ninety three and ninety four. It's just showing you my age, you know. Yeah. Watching that, you know, watching the seven game series when it was the penalty kill and it was a face off in the what do you call in the in the double zone, you know, in the double zone over when the Rangers were on the power play, you were the go to guy for penalty kill face offs, and it used to kill me. Kill me, watching you win after win after win, and I'm like, and I'm just sitting there like, what does it take to beat Bernie Nichols on a faceoff? Because it just seemed to me you had the timing down to the last millisecond. What was the secret behind Bernie Nichols and a penalty kill and a penalty and a penalty kill faceoff? Well, you know what, I, uh, I don't think guys take enough pride in that part of the game. Faceoffs are a huge part of hockey. Uh, you know, it's puck possession. If I win the faceoff, my team's going to get possession of the puck. And uh, I took pride in that. You know, 
there could be two seconds left in the game and the face-off is center ice and one team's winning 5 nothing. I'm still going to win that draw. You know, I'm still going to bear down. I still want to win it. It's just something that I always wanted to do. And I think, you know, especially on penalty killing, you win the draw, you ice the puck, that, that probably takes away 15, 20 seconds before they get it back in their own hand. So um, as a player, as a centerman, you know, it was something that I took pride in. I wanted to be the best at it. Obviously, there's guys that are, are very good, and uh, there's nights that you go against the, the better players, and obviously you got to bear down. you got some big, strong guys out there that are really good. Uh, but you, you did your best to beat them. And uh, like I said, it's something you get the puck, uh, you have possession, and a lot of good things can happen there. And, you know, you talk about defense. Uh, it's not very often you get a skilled player that uh, don't mind blocking shots, and, and I didn't. You know, uh, I, I blocked shots. I got in front of shots, and and I think that the key there is uh, when you got a skilled player killing penalties. I think it makes the other team nervous that they're they're afraid to take chances because we can go score a short-handed goal on them as well. So, you know, it's just uh, you you take pride in being a complete player, and I, I think over uh, 18 years I, I tried to do that, and and hopefully the most part I did. Absolutely, and what do you call, like I said, I followed your career very closely, you know, not only because you played for the Rangers for two and a half seasons, but, you know, your career was like, was one of those that, you know, someone, someone, an average Joe hockey fan should, you know, should appreciate a lot more, and I can actually say I appreciated everything that you did for your 18 years you know, whether it was being the goal scorer extraordinaire or being the guy that made, you know, the Rangers' life miserable in 93, 94, uh, to your, you know, your renaissance with the Chicago Blackhawks. And um, I want to say thank you for being the hockey player that you were because, you know, a lot of people should take should take a lot more notice of what you did over those, uh, over an 18-year career rather than just focus um, one certain se- one or two certain seasons, and uh, I applaud you for for that. But uh, the other reason why I wanted to have you on is because of your brand new app and website that you guys have been putting together called All Sports Market. And uh, why don't you just give a little background on how that came together? Well, I was asked to do this probably uh, oh god, it'd be seven or eight years ago now, and uh, but it's been a long time coming, but basically we got it dialed in now. Uh, the app, it, it's all sports market, like you said, and, and you can go to, on any device now, you go to asmfree.com. Uh, you download the app. I, I have an Apple phone, so uh, we have it right in the Apple uh, store, but you can go on any device now. Um, we got it on Android, any computer, tablet. So you download ASM Free. And we got a great promotion going right now. Anybody who signs up, you're, you're automatically in the draw for a $90,000 DeLorean car just for signing up. Uh, but the app itself, I, I think it's, it's the alternative gambling. You know, I've seen too many people uh, lose a lot of money with gambling. I, I've done that myself. I, I tell people there's nothing worse than going to meet a, a bookie somewhere and handing him a hun- uh, an envelope full of $100 bills and and I've done that, uh, but you know the concept is is you, you buy shares in in any team. So 
So for the most part, most fans, it uh, doesn't matter what team they are, baseball, football, hockey, you can buy shares in your favorite team. So if it's the New York Rangers, um, you buy shares in them. Every time they play, you're watching them. you got invested interest in them. Uh, just for signing up, you get like $2,500 of free them money that you can play with. Uh, our goal is to make it a real money market, but for now, uh, we're trying to get enough people on it, teach them how to play it. Uh, but there's so many different ways you can play it. You can, uh, like I said, you can uh, buy shares in your favorite team, or if you have a team, for example, that you think is going to be successful, you buy shares in them, sit on them for you know a year or two, uh, every time they win, the cool thing about it is, it's like any stock. You know, uh, any time uh, your team wins, you get paid dividends uh, on every on every uh, win that your team has. So you're making money. You don't lose your money if they lose. Uh, it's got that kind of the gambling feeling because you you got invested interest. You've got money down on a on a certain team, whether it's your favorite team or just a team you think is going to be successful and uh, when when they do well, you do well. So uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I keep telling people, I say, just download it, sign up, play with it a little bit. If there's something you don't like about it, tweet me, you know, Facebook me, whatever. And but I, I haven't honestly, I haven't had anybody had any complaints. They've all liked it. It's been fun. Uh, and you know, like what what fan wouldn't want to uh, feel like they own a piece of their own their own team? Now, do you what do you call it? You, you you call like the what do you call it? the stock market, and you actually call it a sports folio. So right. when you talk about a sports folio, you're talking about the teams or the players that you decide to buy, and you know you manage it as if you're managing you manage it as if you're managing stocks, meaning you can buy That's you right. buy low, sell high. So that yeah. means you can buy a lot and you can sell high and stuff like that. That's right. So um, that's exactly right. You're 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 uh, you're buying shares in the team. For example, like the Green Bay Packers are the only sports team that's a publicly traded company. So you know, everybody in Wisconsin probably has shares, whether it's a hundred dollar share, a thousand dollar share, whatever it is, in the Green Bay Packers. Similar to that, you know, you're going to buy shares in, in in your team. And for example, with with the New York Islanders this year. Uh, when when we first started, the New York Islanders were one of the lowest traded teams in the league. They've had a great year. Uh, at the end of the year, they were one of the highest trades. So uh, you, you you buy a team, you know, you can't control it when it starts because uh, the, the shares will go on how they finished last year. So, for example, I bought shares in the LA Kings. Well, they were high when I bought them, but they were the defending Stanley Cup champs, so they were high. But for the most part, the other teams were, were fairly uh, reasonable. But then if you have a team, or, or like I said, if you just pick a team that you think is going to be successful and buy shares in them, it's like any stock. You know, if someone gives you a tip that, you know, gold right now, uh, got a tip, they found gold that's going to go through the roof. You're going to buy shares in it. So it could be anything. Uh, you know, you may not like to say this year. You may not have been a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, but if you bought shares in them, they they were low when it started, and now they're trading high. So that's the concept, like, uh, when they're low and hopefully sell them when they're high, and, and you can do that. You can buy a team. You know, baseball's coming right now. You may know a team may not like them, but you, you think they're going to win. They may have a 10-game homestand, so you buy shares in them. 
they go eight out of ten, nine out of ten. Their shares rise. You get paid on their dividends. Then you want to sell them. Go buy another team that uh, you think is going to have a successful run. Or, you know, I, I talked about right now we got this kid McDavid uh, in junior. He's the next. He just scored five goals in the playoff game tonight. He's going to be the first round draft choice. You know, he's the next Crosby or Gretzky or whatever you want to say. Well, he's probably going to go to either Edmonton or Buffalo, and they're the lowest trade. They're the worst team in the league, so their stock's going to be low. But you buy shares in that team, he's there for a year or two, and hopefully he does what everybody thinks he's going to do. Well, his shares are going to rise and bought them when they were low, bought them when they were the lowest, and, and now they're going to be trading high because they have a good team all the time. So there's so many different ways you can play it. That's why it's fun. Uh, like I said, whatever money you invest in, whatever team you invest in, if they lose, you don't lose your investment. So uh, way better than gambling, a lot more fun. You have invested interest in your whatever team you decide to invest in. Uh, most of the time it's your favorite team. So as much fun as it is to watch your favorite team play, have money involved in it. Uh, invested interest, it makes it that much more special to watch. I have to admit, I, I'm what do you call? I'm actually looking at your you know website. I actually was just watching the uh, you know the YouTube thing that you had that you have up there as well. This is something I would definitely be very interested in. I think uh, so. All those listening to the Mad Scientist Sports Lab right now, uh, this is something that I think you guys should. In, invest in, in going into all sports market and taking a look at it because it seems to be really, really cool. So, Bernie, I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight. Great talking hockey with you. But before you go, I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. Who do you think is going to win the 2015 Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, uh, I know all of you great uh, Ranger fans here in the East Coast. Uh, well, I could, I honestly think the Rangers are the best team in the East right now. Uh, I still think the best team in the West just got put out yesterday, uh, LA Kings. I don't think any team can beat them uh, in four-game series, but they don't have to worry about that because uh, they're not in it. I'll either take Chicago in the West. I still think they're the best team in the West and New York in the East and uh, we'll let them play for the cup. How's that? Very well. Very well. <laughs> very, very well. Very, very happy to hear that. Uh, at least there's still some Ranger Blues still bleeding in the is still bleeding in there for 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 us. But Bernie, I want to thank That's you right. so much for joining me for, for joining me tonight. Why don't you let the people know where they can find you on social media? And once again, let them know about the ASM app. Yeah, I'm in, uh, my Twitter handle is just Bernie Nichols Nine. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, it'd be under Bernie Nichols as well. Uh, but the app is asmfree.com. And like I said before, even if you're not a sports fan, sign up and you're automatically in the draw for a DeLorean car. Uh, so. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? For five minutes, it takes you to sign up. You can win a $90,000 car. So uh, I like to tell people to do that. I think it would be awesome giving that away. Uh, but in the meantime, play with the app. I know there's ways in the app that you can end up getting your name in uh, more than once for, for that draw. So uh, get in there. There's there's uh, competition. There's leaderboards there for people uh, uh, 
to see uh, who can make the most money over the course of a baseball season or hockey season. So there's a lot of good things going on there. But just get on there, and I, I know they'll enjoy it. Bernie, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I definitely would like to have you back on uh, in the not-too-distant future. Again, a true honor to talk to you tonight. Oh, you got it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Hey, thank you. Have a good night. Yep, bye now. That was NHL great Bernie Nichols, former Los Angeles Kings, former New York Rangers, San Jose Sharks, New Jersey Devils, Chicago Blackhawks, Class Act, and again, it's ASM Free, the app, all sports market. I tell you, stock market will never be the same for sports if you follow that app and try to get into it. Looks like it's going to be a really, really good time trying to do that. So you got DFS on one end, you got sports stock market on the other end. Who knows what else is going to happen in this day and age or with good old-fashioned technology. Anyway, we're about to come to the halfway mark. My name is Nick Ficarelli. I am the Mad Scientist of Sports. You are listening to the Mad Scientist Sports Lab live right here on Block Talk Radio, powered by Fantasy Sports Warehouse. But don't fret, ladies and gentlemen. Not only will you be able to hear this show right here on Fantasy Sports Warehouse, which happens to be my home, but this show is also syndicated on many, many other networks. We have, if I can remember them all, it's been just been growing at, at an unbelievable pace. You can also listen to this show on War Room Sports, I-95 Sports and Entertainment, the Happy Hour Network, Die Hard Sports Radio, the Sports Crane, Nuts and Bolts Sports, Asylum Sports Radio, and a couple of others that right now are escaping me. This is what happens when you get old. You actually have to go start writing stuff down to make sure you remember who <laughs> who simulcast your on your show. Wow. Talking about brain fart right now. But anyway, before our, we get into the second half of our show, just a couple of things I wanna you know, I wanna mention. You know, this past week, we saw one hell of an ending to March Madness. I was one of many. Tucky would pull off the impossible and finish the year 40 and up. I really thought that we were watching a team of destiny. Well, I was wrong. Wisconsin came and exercised the demons of 2014 and ended the storybook run of the Kentucky Wildcats. In the championship, the Duke Blue Devils, led by Mike Krzyzewski, went home as national champions. Now, I think the bigger story, though, is this. Earlier this week, the top seven scorers on the Kentucky Wildcats all declared for the NFL draft. NFL, listen to me, the NBA draft. Seven players. And I just sat back and I said, wow. One and done really is the mantra. 
you know, for John Calipari. And I posted, I was like, that's a lot of talent to lose. Little did I know that he's going to replenish it within the bat of an eye. Mark Cuban came out this week and said, college basketball pretty much sucks. Now, i got to be honest with you. I don't think he meant college basketball as a whole sucks. It's just that people coming out at 19 years old into the NBA, maybe one out of, like, ten players are going to be extra special. Others are going to be okay NBA players, and others are just going to struggle and never get it right. I think Mark Cuban has a point. Personally, I would like to see someone stay in school two, three years to hone their game and get it, you know, and, and be done with it. But until such a hard and fast rule says, this is the world that we live in. We're going to see a lot of one and dones. And we're going to see Kentucky probably make another Final Four run next year with a whole batch, a new batch of, of uh, McDonald's All-Americans that are going to be freshmen. But I digress. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to start the second half of our program right now, and we're going to talk a little bit about fantasy football. I know, I know, it's baseball season. You already had your fill the first half, of the first 30 minutes of the show. But, you know, football to me is just a year-round sport. And, you know, you got to have fun with it especially during free agency because fantasy football to me is a year-round thing because you have to watch players move to go to certain places. Does their stock go up? Does their stock go down? Does it stay the same? What happens? What's the domino effect? Well, (laughs) if you thought the mad scientist was mad now, oh, my God, I'm about to enter the asylum. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Asylum football is here. One half of one of the more successful fantasy football shows that I've ever come across is with me tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Mr. Rick Flieger. Rick, how you doing tonight? Oh, awesome. How you doing tonight, Nick? And I like to think of myself as about 65% of that uh, duo. I was actually going to lean towards 70, but then again, being that now you guys are kind of sort of my employer, I don't know if I can piss off the other Rick, so, but, (laughs) anyway, what do you call, welcome to the show, Rick, and what do you call, first thing I wanted to ask you is this, you know, obviously during free agency, you know, you got to keep an eye on where players go and everything, and... I wanted to ask you right off the bat, was there one player in particular that shocked you that moved to another team or possibly stayed with their current team that will actually enhance their fantasy value going into the 2015 season? Well, you know, the one that shocked me, and I shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been shocked because all the reports talked about it in the weeks leading up to it, but DeMarco Murray leaving town and heading to Philadelphia after the Ryan Matthews signing, I, I, I don't understand it. And and then, you know what, a week, week and a half later, Tony Romo redoes his deal, you know, I guess, to get Adrian Peterson in there. I think DeMarco Murray, I, I guess it shouldn't shock me, but I don't think it was the best move for DeMarco Murray. You know, and if you want to talk about somebody who I think staying and 
and actually increasing their fantasy value, I think it's you name your name your uh, Green Bay Packer. That's where, yeah, I think you want to talk. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point. You talk about winners and free agency. It's the Green Bay Packers keeping that team together, keeping that core. And you look at the wide receiver core. If you got a Rod throwing to you, you win. Just simple as that. Yeah, I think what do you call it? The funny thing is, is that when DeMarco Murray actually did sign the contract and Ryan Matthews, what do you call it? They were saying that Ryan Matthews' deals was done. Actually, the funny thing was Ryan Matthews' contract wasn't even signed yet. There was just an agreement. And when DeMarco Murray actually put pen to paper, a lot of people were like, well, what does that do to Ryan Matthews now? Matthews ended up signing anyway. And I was like, okay, I can see where this is probably going. Murray is probably going to be the guy that runs in between the tackles, and Ryan Matthews will probably be that guy that can sell him to touch about 10, 15 touches. And then you still have Darren Sproles in the backfield, you know, getting his touches. So I think Chip's thinking, although sometimes people don't know what Chip is thinking, but I think Chip's thinking is like he's going to have a very nice three-headed monster in which there's going to be one guy that doesn't, you know, get overdone, you know, touching the ball and everything like that. But then then again, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, what does that do for the fantasy aspect of everything? Which 99% of the time now, I mean, people actually look at it and look at fantasy values and it would equal more than, like, you know, actual player values if you if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, and well, unless you're a Philadelphia Eagle fan, you, you don't care what it means. Exactly. With regards to Randall Cobb, when he signed his contract, you know, everybody was like, wow, he left a lot of money in the, on the table. And I actually sat there and go, of course he left a lot of money on the table. Do you? Okay, let's look at this very logically. Aaron Rodgers or Blake Bortles, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, and whoever is quarterbacking the Cleveland Browns. Hmm. <laughs> Nine, $10 million a year and very happy or $15, 16000000 million a year in absolute misery. Let's weigh this for a second. Yeah, I didn't think he would, it would be a second ball with him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a lot to think about there. And I never bought into – I think the most fun and frustrating part of this offseason – was early on hearing all the talk about all the money Jacksonville had to spend and all the free agents they were going to bring in. And Julius Thomas is the only one who fell for it. If you thought for a minute these guys, you're Randall Cobbs, I don't want to call Randall Cobb a fringe guy necessarily, but he's not your Des Bryant. He's not your Demarius Thomas. I think he's a part of a system. He, he's more of a, a gimmick guy. He, he's not the big guy on the outside. He needs to be in the right offense. He goes to Jacksonville. He disappears. Yeah, that said, I think a Julius Thomas can do well down there in Jacksonville. But I think this offseason has shown more than any, while we look at it strictly from a fantasy football perspective, these guys are willing to take a little less to be in the right situation. And, and it makes sense. Yeah, maybe you leave 3 or $4 million of salary on the table, and you're not exactly talking about a giant media center up there in Green Bay, but you'll make the money if you continue to be a star based on the situation you're in. If you go into Jacksonville and you become a typical Jacksonville Jaguar, you disappear. It's just what happens. 
you know, I didn't buy into it. These teams, they open up cap space. These big free agents aren't going to go there. They're, they're going to have to build it from within. It, it's simple as that. Now, was there an under-the-radar move that you saw that you were, like, licking your chops going, oh, I hope nobody picks up on this because I'm going to make a killing during drafting? You know, there the really wasn't anything that, that greatly excited me. I'll tell you a move I like, you know, maybe from a homer perspective, being from western Pennsylvania. This is a guy I despise. I, I truly do. But I think the Steelers bringing in D'Angelo Williams in, in a change of pace situation. You know, now you got the, the three-game suspension for Le'Veon Bell, which, which drives me out of my mind. But but a change of pace guy, something down around the goal line, it it it's gone away trying to be the feature back. You know, I know Jonathan Stewart was supposed to be the feature back in Carolina, but you had just about as many carries per game in the last five years as he did. I think D'Angelo Williams, from a fantasy perspective, is he going to have a ton of value? No, but I think he's going to be a guy you keep keep your eye on a little bit. It's going to be what I think we expected LeGarrette Blunt to be, and he just wasn't. It's yeah, Other than that, I haven't seen anything that shocked me. I think what we're all watching is I want to see what I will be shocked by is if Adrian Peterson doesn't end up in Dallas and if he ends up elsewhere. That That's the guy I really have my eye on right now. Now, being that you are from, you know, obviously from, uh, from Western Pennsylvania, what was your feeling yesterday or – actually, Friday, when the news came out that Troy Palomalu was going to retire from uh, from the NFL. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it because when he announced his retirement, I, you know, it was a heavy heart for me because you're talking about one of the best defensive players of our time. I mean, the, he didn't have many interceptions. He only had 36 interceptions throughout his career. But they always seemed to be of the timely, timely kind. But when it came to sheer ferocity, nobody, you know, nobody could touch Troy Palomalu on the on the football field. Yeah, I, look, it, it's sad to see the the cold hard football sense of it. Is you know, my thought was it's a year too late. He just the way Troy Polamalu played, he played out of position. That that's what he did. That's who he was. And you saw in the last year and a half, you know, almost two full seasons, he no longer had the speed or the athletic ability to do that. So, cold hard wins and losses, you know, it, it's almost a relief. I, it really is. You hate to say that. Now looking back on it, what he contributed to the Steelers, what he contributed to the game of football, he was the most exciting individual on that side of the football over the last seven or eight years you hate to see him go glad he retires as a Steeler he doesn't go to Arizona like every other 35 year old Steeler does and plod through one more season I think you know it's he's going to be missed in in Steelers lore it's 
I'm sure he was a great locker room guy, but but from a pure football standpoint, it it, it was just done. He, he could no longer. He wasn't a stay-at-home type of safety. He's doing all that nonsense up around the line of scrimmage, and then he was able to get himself back into play if he didn't make the play at the line of scrimmage. If you go back and watch last year, you, know, you can see any end zone view of any opponent's touchdown on a long pass. You'll see Troy Polamalu about 15 to 25 yards behind that play. Very frustrating. Hated to see it. It's what happens to these guys. But in a city and a fan base who has seen a lot of legendary defensive players, this guy's got himself right up in the top five. And it's to use your phrase, you know, it's with a heavy heart. You hate to see him go. But I think going out a Steeler, going out on his own terms, quote unquote, I think yeah, they helped him out the door there a little bit. But from a pure football standpoint, it was past due. Yeah, you know, the last couple of years, you know, we've seen, you know, a little bit of a slowdown in his game and everything like that. And I think he actually did the right thing because you look at some players like, for example, Ed Reed, who, you know, didn't know when to say, who did, we didn't know when to say quit. And uh, you saw what happened the last couple of years of his career, you know, with the Jets and the Texans, you know, to me, he should have retired a Raven, but, he, you know, he didn't do that. And, you know, this was, you know, this was the right move made by Palomalu. I think he's sort of writing on the wall, and I think it was time for him to actually go, you know, to actually say, you know, to say goodbye. And there will be no doubt that, you know, we're probably going to see him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and obviously we will see him in the Steelers Hall of Fame. That's like a no-brainer, to say the least, and a possible retirement of, of the number. Um, now, another thing I wanted to talk to you about tonight was the Johnny Manziel saga. I had a lot of discussions on a lot of shows that I, you know, that I've been a, I've been a guest on, in which a lot of people are like, "It's over. It's done with. He's a bust. He's finished. You know, he Cleveland should cut their losses and everything like that." In which I sit back and I say, "Look." And I, what do you call it? I wanted to get your thoughts on this. The kid has only been in pro football for a year. Yes, he was coddled egregiously at Texas A&M. You know, allowed to get away with a lot of things. Came to the pros, obviously was woefully unprepared for what was about to hit him. Still living off the college you know, the college infamy that he had, partying and stuff like that. He took it upon himself to say, you know what, I have to clean up. I want to be a quarterback in the NFL. I want to be, you know, a member of the Cleveland Browns. I need to clean up my act. I need to clean myself up. I need to study more. I need to do whatever. He checked himself into rehab. He was actually released from rehab today. Yet from what I'm seeing... Cleveland Browns are 90% done with him. Uh, we call Joe Thomas was very, very upfront, said he did lose the locker room, you know, for being so unprepared. And because of the way he was acting, you know, he carried himself. It's going to take a lot for him to gain the trust of the team back. I Do you think Cleveland should give him a chance to win the locker room back and not give up on him this quickly because, to me, I think it would be a great mistake 
for the Cleveland Browns to do that. I do believe there's a quarterback in there. Is he going to be a franchise quarterback? I don't think so. But I do believe that this is a guy that may actually do some really good things for the Cleveland Browns. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, I have never seen a guy, and maybe I'm naive. You know, maybe I'm looking at it through my eyes, a guy who doesn't have all the athletic ability of a Johnny Manziel. What is this kid, 21, 22 years old? You can't tell me he's the only cat coming to league partying. Yeah, maybe he's partying. He became a celebrity for whatever reason. There's 20 guys in every locker room who could out-party Johnny Manziel any day. I promise you that. They're not hanging out with LeBron James, I grant you. That's not a big deal. That has gotten so blown up by the, the national media at hand. You know, We had some stupid things with some autographs at Texas A&M. These are so many things that, in, in, at least in my mind, are so common in these locker rooms. I've never understood why the kid's been so scrutinized for it. What I don't know is can he play at this level. Someone's got to give him an opportunity. If he's unprepared, I understand they're professionals. I hold the coaching staff more responsible for that. When you draft this kid, you know they just the offense they ran at Texas A&M was just letting him go out and do his thing, and that's not going to fly in the NFL. Where's the coaching staff on this? They're at least equally responsible for any type of lack of preparation for Johnny Manziel. Yeah, the problem is the, the Browns are a joke. So would it be a mistake for the Browns to give up on him? Probably. You, you, you don't know. I think the odds are, just in general with a first-round quarterback, the odds are this kid's going to fail. But somebody's got to give him an opportunity. I don't think Cleveland's – I think the best thing for Johnny Manziel would be for the Browns to cut bait. But the kid's so athletic. I don't know what you do with him if he can't play the quarterback position at this level. We had this conversation with Tim Tebow, you know, 180 degrees personality-wise or, or lifestyle-wise at that. Anyhow, you know, maybe there's something else you could do. There's got to be a place in this league for a guy with Johnny Manziel's pedigree. I think that maybe this humbles him a little bit. I don't know. But I've, I've just never understood. And like I said, maybe I look at it with me. If I'm 22 years old, I got his kind of fame. I got these kind of women following me around, and I got his kind of money. I'd be dead by now, so I give the kid credit for even being able to start a game in the NFL. I think any one of us would be dead if we had an opportunity to live that lifestyle for 15 minutes. I think he's been unfairly scrutinized. Look, is he, uh, you know, pardon the word, is the kid a douche? There's no doubt about it. I mean, he, he it's like him and Justin Bieber, I can't tell them apart. You know, probably the first Justin Bieber mention you've ever had on your show. Maybe we'll get into Taylor Swift or something later. But but this kid, you know, cut this kid. I don't understand it. It frustrates me to no end. You can't tell me he's the only guy out there partying. Is it who he's partying with because he came in as a celebrity before he was a quarterback instead of being the quarterback then becoming the celebrity? I think it's nonsense. I think Cleveland should give up on him for the benefit of their team because they're not going to be able to get anything out of it. It's going to be a loss for them. That organization is a joke. It's a disaster. They just need to push the entire thing into Lake Erie, just just the whole thing, stadium, offices, everything. Just shove it in there shatter it for for the Browns sake get what you can if there's anything to get out of it because you're not going to be able to do anything about it for Johnny Manziel's career and let's get him in a big city where he can do some real partying these lame parties in Cleveland can't be good for him if you're going to do it do it right maybe if they put that new team out in LA Johnny Manziel would be the perfect front man for that 
Man, that was just pure awesome right there. I mean, I'll speak weekly. For the first time, I can actually say that Mad Scientist is actually speechless, but that's what happens when I let the asylum into the lab. Anyway, <laughs> what do um, Wow, I, I, I don't know where to go from there. I'm actually stumped. <laughs> wow. The mad scientist is actually stuff. Actually, no, I'm not. I have to. What do you call? I have to. I, I do know where I want to go, though. Speaking of the new team in LA, other, the other big news that's been happening during the off season is that it seems that there have been a lot of power plays made lately. We see Stan Kroenke from the St. Louis Rams decide to buy a gigantic parcel of land and say, you know what, I am going to build a brand-new football stadium using my own money. I am not going to use public funds. It's going to be my own money, and I'm going to build a new stadium. you got the San Diego Chargers and the Oakland Raiders all of a sudden coming together and saying, you know what, we're going to build something in Carson, California. you got another, what do you call it, you got Shad Khan out in Jacksonville all of a sudden saying, you know what, that plot of land in Inglewood looks really good right now. I think I may end up buying that and build my own stadium with that as well. All of a sudden, it now seems to be an arms race on trying to get into to Los Angeles. I keep saying to myself, either this is the real deal, where someone is going to be relocated from their current franchise into the Los Angeles market, or this is just the biggest power play to get every other city to have to finally open their wallets and build stadiums to keep their teams there. I'm under the impression that it's a combination of both. There will be one team out of the four that I named that will be moving to Los Angeles. And there are going to be three suckers that are going to be like, no, no, we don't want you to move. We'll finally open our wallets. We'll make it. We'll make do because that's what politicians end up doing. So, Rick, I'm going to ask you, which is the team that you feel is going to make the move, or do you feel this whole thing has just been nothing but a big power play to keep to to wringle whatever they can out of their own, out of the cities that they're in right now? I think it almost has to be that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I still don't understand what I'm missing. They done gave Los Angeles a good run many a times with the NFL. I mean, Oakland, L.A., they've bounced back and forth pretty much every other year since the mid-'70s. The Rams are in St. Louis for a reason. Why all of a sudden? You know, I understand, I guess, probably mainly because of fantasy football, the national appetite for areas for and the NFL in any area has grown. It has failed miserably every time it's been in Los Angeles. It, this is the NFL. This is Lord Goodell want, needing to justify why. He doesn't have a team in what's probably, what, the number two market in the country? It's because they don't want it. They care about USC and and terrible old stadiums and basketball. This is what they care about out there. So that being said, I I don't think it's going to work in terms of what they think, where it's going to be a huge major market. I mean, this has failed why teams have succeeded in Green Bay while Cleveland has made a mockery of the entire NFL for 30 years, 
And L, they still have it. They've got their second shot at a team, and L.A. Ha- hasn't been able to keep a team in town or get a team back in all that time since the Rams left. So that being said, your St. Louis, they're there for a reason. That That's that's puffing out your chest. That That's a power play right there. San Diego, same thing. Who wants to leave San Diego for L.A.? You know, I don't do a lot of traveling, but you just you do a Google search of L.A. and San Diego. They, they don't want to leave. They'll get their stadium there. And I think the NFL wanted to play Super Bowls out there. I don't think they want to see San Diego leave. Now, Jacksonville, on the other hand, that would make sense. Because if you have a team that nobody gives a damn about, be it in Jacksonville or or L.A., I think the NFL would prefer, the players would prefer, and the Jaguars' ownership would prefer that nobody give a damn about them in L.A. rather than in Jacksonville. So that, I think, is a legitimate move. Why you ever put a team in Jacksonville, I never, I'll never, i never understand. And basically, anything north of Miami, just avoid Florida altogether. Jacksonville, really, I never understood it. That's a legitimate move I could see made. Anybody else, it's just posturing. But I think it's going to be, you know, everything being relative, it's going to be a failure, at least towards expectations. I don't why all of a sudden – is L.A. this great NFL market when they have failed time and time again? I'd rather see see these teams threaten to go to London, and don't even get me started on that nonsense. But L.A., London, I don't see any different. It's not an NFL market. They've proven themselves that. This has to be probably one of the best interviews that the Mad Scientist Sports Lab has ever had. And this is why I need the asylum on my show so much more often, whether it's Bleager or if it's Briggs. Although I gotta say this is this this has just been absolutely one hundred percent a hell of a lot of fun. And you know what also is gonna be a hell of a lot of fun? Knowing that you guys now have an officially full blown network. When I heard the news, I think everybody was what do you call it? everybody was like, Wait a minute, the, the Rick's a network? Seriously, I swear I actually started doing that. I started doing the happy dance when it happened. Why don't you let the people know how it came about and give a shout out to all the shows that just happened to be a part of the Asylum Network? Yeah, uh, you know, it just sort of came about organically. You know, a lot of it. You know, we, we put an investment into into the bandwidth, into the airspace, and you know, into the website. And I'm knocking the microphone around here, true radio professional. But I think there was a lot of things being left underserved. You know, unfortunately, you know, believe this or not, you know, none of us have become millionaires off of this whole podcast gimmick yet. So working Joe jobs, content's king. You know that, Nick. And so we wanted to get more stuff out there. You know, we want to do some baseball shows. We want to do some NASCAR shows. A, a lot of stuff we wanted to do, and a lot of stuff, frankly, I don't know a lot about. I've tried fantasy baseball, and I've had horrible experiences. And if you go back and listen to our show from uh, Tuesday, <laughs> go go check it out. You'll hear about my awful experiences with fantasy baseball. But I think, you know, it's an emerging market. And I also look at, you know, we're coming up on – or. or a, about 250 shows we've been doing. We've been doing this for about four years. 
you know, it's taken us a long time to get, you know, what little bit we have, what little niche we have in the market. And there's a lot of guys that helped us out along the way. And, and you know, you, you were one of those guys, Nick, you know, with the Sports Chronicles Radio Network, something we hopped on there early. Now we're on with the Fantasy Sports Network. And there's a lot of guys out there, you know, trying to get started. So, what we decided was we, we had some air time on the days we weren't doing our shows, and we decided we were going to bring these shows in, bring our listeners some different perspective other than just me and the old man screaming at each other the two days a week that we did. You know, maybe get some legitimate fantasy content out there, get some other sports in, get get the baseball crowd out there, get the dynasty crowd. So we you just threw it out there, and, boy, got a lot more feedback, a lot. Of, and, and we made a decision, you know, a lot of startups, nothing – you know, outside of your show, nothing truly, truly established. You know, give a give a guy a break, give him a chance, get let him get into the business. We've been helping people out, and you know, it's been great. We're wrapping up the first week here. We'll wrap up the first week with uh, I think what's got to be our headliner here, the Mad Scientist on Sundays, a, a simulcast of this show. You'll hear on the Asylum Network. We have uh, uh, we got our buddy our buddy Chris Heil doing uh, football and baseball on Monday. You got you got your boys at the asylum on Tuesday. We got Pine Tart Talk Baseball on Wednesday. Oh, I'm I'm drawing a blank now. Oh, we got uh Bob Lung. He does uh fantasy football consistency. If you haven't heard that, you know, a a, a new a new mathematical way to uh, look at things, very analytical. He does a show on Thursday on the network. We have uh just added, you know, at the last minute uh, a NASCAR show. Uh, with Robin and Lynn on Friday nights, Saturday night or so, yeah, Saturday uh, we have uh, we have our buddy on there doing a dynasty show, the Dynasty Dudes, and like I said, we got the Mad Scientist on Sunday. So we just have a couple hours of fantasy content week in and week out. You can find that at AsylumFantasySports.com, and yeah, we're just we're hoping to grow it from there. Give it's a it's a cool community, and I think you can speak speak to that, Nick. There's some real jerks out there, and, and and we've been acquainted with them quite frequently too. And that's a two-hour show on its own. I said, "Don't get me started." That's a two-hour show on its own. <laughs> and you know, Rick won't let this. He's the more. Uh, uh, he's a nicer well, guy. He's more. He's more politically correct than me and you combined than, than, than me and you. I, I will definitely say that. But I will say uh, I will say this. When I found out you guys were putting the network together, the first thing I, that I did was I raised my hand and said, uh, "I'm in." <laughs> Just say the word, and I will happily do so because I've been a big fan of you guys since uh, you guys started four years ago. And, you know, I've been on your show a few times. You you and Briggs have been on my show a few times. And there hasn't been one bad segment that we've had. And this was like the topper for me because, you know, talking to you is like exactly what radio should be like. No holds barred. Don't hold anything back. And let's have fun with it. And with that being said, I want to thank you again for coming on my show. And uh, I definitely am going to have you or the old man on here again, that's for sure. So why don't you let the people know where they can find you in social media, and uh, I guess I'll talk to you in the not-too-distant future. All right, absolutely. So check out, you can check out the network, our show, at AsylumFantasySports.com. 
working to working to rework that i get to give out a uh give a shout out to our buddy scott fish that helps us out with our web all the time great guy and i think another guy who could be on that too let's do this sometime without briggs knowledge let's do a show we could do it separate everything else just calling out all all the jerks <laughs> in this industry but aside oh, from I think that'd be a lot of fun on Twitter. At a, well, and hold on, let me back up. Scott's one of those guys who's been burnt by these jerks, which is why I want to give him a shout out here. I'm not saying Scott's one of the jerks. He's he's an amazing guy. At Asylum Football on Twitter, you can find it all there. Nick, I appreciate you having me. We'll definitely do it again. But I got to tell you, if you want to have Briggs on, it can't be at 11 o'clock. You're gonna have to do it about 4:30 or so. But but I, I'm with you anytime you need me, Nick. I appreciate it and uh, glad to have you part of the network. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right. Take her easy. And that was Rick Flieger from Asylum Football, one of the best podcasts you can ever listen to and a great network that is just coming together. Man, he is a trip. I That was a lot of fun. But I'm going to close the show on an unbelievably high note because the gentleman that I have now is a nationally acclaimed author who has one of the best books that I've come across. It's called Tom Brady versus the NFL. And it basically breaks down why Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the NFL. And a lot of unbelievably great points made when you compare and contrast Brady to many of the quarterbacks, not only of his generation, but of also past generations. It's an amazing read, and I'm very, very honored to have on my show the author of this book. Ladies and gentlemen, not to be confused with the quarterback of uh, Virginia Tech or whatever school that is, this school that is, but the writer extraordinaire himself, Mr. Sean Glennon. Sean, how are you tonight? I'm great, Nick. After an introduction like that, how could I not be? Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing very well. So what was the premise for this book? Because I know you live up in the New England area, and by the way, the Providence Journal has pretty much called you the Nobel laureate of, you know, of football after the, after this tone came out, and I tend to agree with them. What was the premise for writing this book regarding Tom Brady versus the NFL? Well, you know, um, someone actually said on online this week that the premise of my book was that he didn't agree with the premise of my book, which was that Tom Brady, which he decided was that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. That that was. Never the premise was really the conclusion. I actually set out to write a very different book about Tom Brady. I, I, in fact, I didn't want to write a book about Tom Brady at all. I've written a, a, you know, a few books about uh, the Patriots, wrote a book about Patriots fans, and a uh, publisher that I've worked with on uh, on a few books uh, wanted me to write a Brady book, and, and I they, they actually wanted me to write a um, a biography, and I didn't want to do it. You know, Charlie Price wrote a fantastic biography of Tom Brady a few years ago and and I just didn't and I figured Tom's going to write his own you know when he's all when all is said and done probably or you know he'll write it with somebody and I didn't want to be the book sort of in between Charlie's great book and 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 Tom's you know Tom's own so I said no and uh 
you know, there was this whole process where they wanted me to write a Brady book. And, and so what I sat down to write, what I was sort of willing to write, I just wanted to do something fun. And it was going to be a book called, uh, and this was a few years ago, it was going to be a book called uh, 25 Reasons Tom Brady is Better Than Peyton Manning. Just, 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 a, just a fun little book. Um, and uh, as I uh, sort of got into writing that, because I, I really love football history and care a lot about football history, I started looking at, at Brady, and I thought Brady better than Manning was a, had been a foregone conclusion for a long time at that point. But I started looking at both of them next to some of the all-time greats, and I was just sort of astounded. Like, I knew Brady was up there in the top ten, um, but by the time I really sort of poked through things a lot, um, I came to the conclusion that you know it didn't it didn't matter that Tom Brady was better than Peyton Banning, it the, because the the big news was he had already at that point in his career, um, and this book again was published in 2012, um, was the greatest who ever had ever played the game, and it was um, it was something I could prove. Long answer yeah. to a short question, huh? Actually, no. Actually, it's very informative. And the reason why I what do you call the reason why is because Tom Brady really doesn't get the credit that he does deserve as an all-time great. Because when you're playing in the same era, a lot of people say, you know, you're playing in the same era as Peyton Manning, as Drew Brees, as Aaron Rodgers. The comparisons will always, always be out there and never die. And a lot of people also seem to take away credit from Brady for the sheer fact that, you know, there was Spygate. He didn't win. You know, there was the three championships in the four years, which people all of a sudden, you know, are saying Spygate, Spygate, Spygate. You know, then after that, he doesn't win another championship until this past season, in which I have to say, you know, you know, if there was a team that, you know, pretty much, you know, represented like the Belichick teams of yore was this team because you had Tom Brady and a lot of inter- interchangeable parts. One of the best coaching jobs and what's one of the best quarterback leadership jobs I've ever seen any uh, a duo do. Do you think because of Spygate and everything that, you know, it was a good re- another good reason to write about, to write this book? Because with that, with Spygate out there, you know, I really feel it takes away from the credit that he's had, you know, with regards to his career. Right. And, you know, I don't know if that was a reason to – it certainly wasn't in my mind that I'm going to write this book to sort of write around Spygate or, or prove something for Tom uh, in in – you know, in the wake of Spygate, I I have a lot of respect for Tom. I've enjoyed watching him play his whole career. But, uh, you know, I'm not his PR guy, and I ne- never set out to be. Um, and so what what Spygate means to him wasn't really uh, wasn't really on my mind, and 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 still isn't. I, I've I've never really put a whole lot of stock, frankly, into Spygate. Uh, you know, I think that the the, the facts. Um, when you look at them objectively, uh, tend to, to indicate that that there wasn't a whole lot to to spy. Not that I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but that it didn't really it didn't really mean all that much ultimately. Um, and I think that you know what Spygate does is gives people who don't want to uh, don't want to accept the Patriots as a you know a great dynastic team or don't want to. Ex- it, it, 
accept Belichick as, as one of the all-time greats, if not the all-time great coach, and Brady as, as one of the all-time greats, if not the uh, all-time great quarterback. It gives them something to hook on to. Um, and, and, and I've yet to hear a compelling argument that says, well, you know, Spygate proves that, that these guys can't get it done. You know, they couldn't get it done without without spying well i don't know they they i get that they until this year hadn't won a super bowl uh post spygate but man they had they you know they they had still sort of laid waste to the league year after year um so it's sort of hard to get my head around that and and in terms of playing in the same era as, as Manning and Breeze um and Rodgers uh look i have a lot of respect for all three of those guys um I think Manning in particular is one of those guys that you know fans uh, and and the media really latch on to because he's this you know he's this stats machine um, and he just uh, you know he racks it up season after season um, and and it's uh, you know a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I don't know that I, th- I I certainly don't think that stats alone uh, you know make you a uh they certainly make it they certainly indicate that he's a great a very good quarterback do they make you a great quarterback uh, not in my opinion i think that's the biggest reason why you know when people talk about the manning versus brady conundrum as i like to call it they look at Peyton manning's numbers and they're like they're looking at you know they they're pretty much one and one a in a lot of people's in a lot of people's minds you look at Manning's numbers, you know, obviously some of the greatest, you know, seasons a quarterback could have, especially a couple of years ago when he broke practically every single record that was out there. Uh, he's about to, you know, he's only, I believe, he's only a few yards away from becoming the all-time uh, yards y- yards uh, in a career, you know, to pass Brett Favre. Uh, he's already passed for touchdowns, you know, but then after that, I keep going back to the playoff numbers, and I keep going back to the playoff record. Yeah, he's a great, great, great quarterback, but to me, it's that one, only having one Super Bowl and a sub-500 record in, you know, in the playoffs, that's why, to me, I feel that, you know, when it comes to Brady versus Manning, Brady will always have that leg up because Brady know, knows how to win the playoffs. And the people then after that come back and say, yeah, but he won three or four, but then he didn't win until this past year. There was like a 15-year gap or something like that. I was like, yeah, but he made the play- At least he made the AFC championship game. He made the Super Bowl a couple of years. And he played against this kryptonite, the New York Giants. Happened to be another Manning, Eli Manning. You know, but that always seems to be the crux of the argument when you have Manning versus Brady, and that's the playoff, the, the playoff records. Do you tend to agree with that? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. You know, to, in, in my mind, um, greatness. Uh, look, there's a lot that goes into greatness, but. But you know, if you want to break it down to its very most basic formula, it's ability plus achievement. And and uh, 
Peyton Manning certainly has 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 had some great achievements in the regular season. But yeah, you got to you got to achieve in the po- in the playoffs in the postseason. And Manning hasn't done that. And he's um you know and he's he's failed in the postseason more often than he's succeeded. And it's exactly the opposite with Brady. And you know when you look at those lost Super Bowls, you know they both look Brady's won four. Manning's won one, right? They uh, they both lost a couple. But when you look at those Super Bowls, um, I, I don't care how you look at it. In both of the Super Bowls that the Patriots lost with Brady at quarterback, he put the winning points on the board uh, in the fourth quarter. With uh, you know, with the other team had to come back, and and his defense. Um, for whatever reason, didn't hold, and, and it's been, uh, you know, you, we can talk about freak plays and all that stuff. It doesn't matter. You, you lose, you lose. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that Brady didn't get the job done. And yet, you, you see Manning in the Super Bowl, and he's and he's throwing, uh, he's throwing pick sixes that that lose games. He's throwing interceptions that lose games. Um, that's not. Uh, that's a guy who can talk about as sort of in the maybe he's arguably in the top ten all time, but I, I, I'll, I'll be damned if I'll put that guy um, on the same level as Tom Brady. Now, when you when you wrote the book and put this whole thing together, how long did it take to formulate all the stats that you needed? All the history that you know, the, the the history of the NFL quarterback and stuff like that. How did you put everything together so this way you can allow the reader to understand exactly why it, it's the to, it's Tom Brady versus the NFL? Well, you know how long it took me. I don't know. I, I think I I spent about a year writing that book. Um, and in terms of compiling the stats, well, that was certainly a, you know, that was certainly a big part of it. I mean, there's no stats that you're going to get out of this book that are uh, that, that aren't available to you if you want to do the research yourself. You know, I didn't come up with any new. You know, there's guys out there who are doing amazing work in in uh, advanced statistics and and, uh, and and coming up with with new formulas um, and. And it's pretty interesting stuff. That's not that's not me. I, you know, I'm going with good old fashioned passer rating and um, and, and and looking at the you know the stats that have sort of been uh, the standbys in, in the NFL for uh, forever. Um, but yeah, I did have to pull them all together. And uh, you know, stats um, stats are great because they allow you to sort of quantify success on the field. Um, that said, I didn't want to write a book. That was, um, a, you know, sort of a compilation of stats or a purely a statistical argument. Uh, you know, I, I've got it all. It's all in the numbers right here. Just look at these numbers. Here they are. That's that's my case. Um, neither did I want to write a book that that that, that pretended that there, that you can, uh, you know, really sort of apply the same stats um, across various eras of NFL history because things have changed dramatically. You know, uh, in a, in a lot of ways, what I think this book does is um, it traces. The development of uh, of the NFL passers, the quarterback as the as a central position in uh, in professional football, from you know from Sammy Baugh to, uh, up through you know the modern times, and um, you can't really you can't look at the way that that uh, guys like like Sammy Baugh threw the football um, at and the way guys like Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady throw the football and think it's the same thing. So you have to do, you know, you have to do some other work as well. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to do, um, and this was really important to me, is I've got 
Brady uh, compared to uh, you know 15 quarterbacks from NFL history in this book, and and um, and and I love every one of those quarterbacks and respect what they brought to the game. So I did not want to produce a book that looked at a quarterback like Roger Staubach or or, or Dan Marino um, and and um, and said. You know, oh yeah, these guys look great, but they're not as good as Brady. I, I wanted to to write uh, chapters on these guys that were tributes to them and and the great play that they brought to the field, and then say, and so these guys were great, and here's why I think Brady's even better. You know, to to sort of do it that way, um, and so it was a it was a. And I, and I, when I went into it, I thought, well, this will be easy because I really love stats and I really love telling stories about NFL history. So I'll, I'll just do both of those things at the same time. And, and what, what happened when I got into the, writing this book is I found out that those two sort of parts of who I am don't get along together very well at all. So I spent uh, you know a year really sort of um, really knocking my own head, uh, rock, knocking my head against my own other head, um, trying to get this thing done and. and uh, uh, it, it was a chore, but I think, you know, worth it in the end. Now, the other thing that, you know, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about the book is this, is that, you know, you said it took a year for, for, you, for you to write and stuff like that. Was this, a, well, was this something that you had planned to do, or was it, so I, I know you mentioned that someone said they wanted you to write a biography of, you know, of Tom Brady, but you, you didn't want to do that. When you when you decided to do the book and you decided to go this you decided to go this particular route, was there something? What do you call? Was there something that said in your in your mind that said, you know what, this would be the perfect way for me to explain my case in such a way that the reader will understand. You know what. This is exactly how I want it to be. How I want it to look. I want Tom Brady to look, you know, as the best. But I'm giving everybody else their due because they brought something to the table that possibly Tom Brady couldn't bring to the table. I mean, you mentioned it, or you you just mentioned it. Would that be the perfect way to describe the the, the way that you brought that you brought the book together? Um, I you know, oddly enough, I think sort of. Um, sort of the other way around, you know. I I I was looking at um, I was looking at Brady and I was looking at these other quarterbacks, and I came to the conclusion that 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 Brady was the greatest. So I I, I sort of had done all that work and and uh, realized that that was the the book that I needed to write, as opposed to you know going in wanting to make this point. Um, I I didn't come to that conclusion until I started uh, until I started doing a bunch of research. I had really no intention of uh, of writing that book. Once I wrote, once I figured out that I believed that Tom Brady was the the greatest ever, um, and that. Um, and that I believe that not just because of my gut or because you know I live in New England and and um, and you know I, I've written books about the Patriots and my books do well with the Patriots do well and all that stuff. Um, but I believed it because um, you know I looked at things and I looked at all these quarterbacks that I that I really admired and thought Brady came out on top. Once I I, I figured out that that's where I wanted to go, then it was yeah then it was about constructing that book in a way that. Um, that that sort of uh, 
that told the story of Tom Brady's career, and, and I do that. You know, there are chapters through this book. Um, I, I go back and forth between chapters that compare him to the great, you know, the other greats who have played the game, and chapters that sort of recap uh, season by season his career um, to, you know, to the point where I wrote this book, um, and. Uh, and and really, so wanted to pay, pay tribute to him, and wanted to pay tribute to the, other, the not only the other quarterbacks, but the the sort of the tradition and the history that he's part of. You know, the the way that the passing game has been approached by uh, not only by different quarterbacks, but by the the, the coaches that they played for. You know, um, the the way that um, the way that Sid Luckman. Executed, uh, you know, George House and and uh, and Shaughnessy's ideas. You know, the way that that Montana, um, you know, internalized Walsh's system and and, and brought it to the field. You know, uh, the, the the way that um, um, Bart Starr, uh, you know, w- was sort of the, the you know the perfect person to to execute what Lombardi uh, sort of envisioned for the game. I think that you know that sort of quarterback coach relationship is a big part of this book as well. And, and I, I you know I, I really sort of wanted to to bring all of that to the reader and bring you know my appreciation for what those what, what that coach and what that what the that key position have meant to the evolution of the the game that that I love and that I think the people who read my books love. Now. What was the toughest comparison that you had to do with Tom Brady? I was I would think that maybe the toughest comparison would be Tom Brady versus Joe Montana. The only reason why I bring that up is because yes, I read it I, I go to your, your, your website, com, a couple of times and you know, I always seem drawn to the comparison that you had between Brady and Montana which you pulled together for your book, and it's an amazing comparison that you that, that you had that you have with with those two. It is because you know until I think until Brady came along, it was pretty clear that Montana was the you know was the greatest who ever played the game, and and I know that there are still people out there who uh, who hold up. Uh, Joe as, as as still the greatest who ever played the game. You know, four Super Bowls. You know, zero interceptions, eleven touchdowns. That's a that's a, that's an incredibly impressive thing. And I and I think just as uh, just as those people still exist, and and I certainly understand their point of view. You know, there's still people out there. Um, I think until I don't think I know until Montana came along. You know, the consensus was that Star was the greatest who ever played the game, and there continued to be through Montana. His career, people who insisted, well, yeah, but he's he's still not as great as Bart Starr, um, and and there are still a few of those out there. You know, they they get older and older, and and uh, the inevitable takes place, so we lose some of those guys. But uh, and 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 it'll happen again, right? I mean, some quarterback will come along and be greater than Brady, um, and and there'll be people out there who who won't let go of Brady. Um, but yeah, it was the toughest thing to do to compare him to Montana, um, not only because of. Uh, you know Joe ha- having been the greatest before him, but because man was Joe Montana a great quarterback, and you know, and I watched him play his whole career, and I, I you know, it it was astounding. Um, and so, um, it, I, at the time I wrote this book, I believed that Tom Brady was a better quarterback than Joe Montana, but like just by a hair, you know, like with some other guys, it was like by a lot. 
Um, but with Montana, it was like, you know, if someone's going to make an argument that Montana is still the greatest, I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get too heated with them because they're going to be able to make a great case. But I think, you know, Tom's a, a hair ahead for various factors for the, uh, you know, for for particularly for playing in a uh, salary cap era, which Montana didn't have to wrestle with any of that stuff. You know, he played in a time when you could keep a team together uh, for, uh, for for the entirety of, of, of a guy's career in some way. You know, obviously that people cycle out of football, but um, you kept teams together much better in Montana's era than, than before. And, and you could, so you could have a team that sort of dominated year after year. And, and also because Walsh's system was so different from anything that people had seen before, that it took a few years for people to sort of catch up with what the 49ers were doing. Um, so, you know, Montana had those uh, the, those advantages. Not that that doesn't make him a great quarterback. He was. Um, but I just felt like Brady was, a, you know, a, again, a hair better. I think that, that, so this book was, again, published in 2012. I think that the couple of years that have come since then have really sort of established that uh, w- without question that Brady is uh, is is um, better than Montana. Again, not by a ton, but by, certainly by more than the hair that, that I had him at uh, back then. Well, Sean, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on my show and talking about your book and, like, pretty much explaining it and, like, to everybody that, you know, really, you know, tried to, you know, that's trying to grasp, you know, the concept of the book. And I got to tell you, I mean, I, what do you call it? When I first read it, I was like, you know, I, I'm starting to figure it out, you know, where he's going with this. And I have to say, it's one of the best books I've ever, I've ever written. And... As you, that you uh, that you've ever read that you've ever written, and I would highly recommend for anybody to go out, get the book, read it, see where Sean is coming from, because once you do, it is a very extremely compelling argument. Sean, why don't you let the people know where they can find you on Twitter and and uh, any new uh, tomes that you'll be that that should be coming across the pipe soon. Yeah, well, so first of all, thanks thanks for having me on, and thanks for the kind words. Uh, people can find me on Twitter um, at, at Sean Glennon, uh, that's S-E-A-N-G-L-E-N-N-O-N. And um, I've got a, uh, a book coming out this fall called The Patriot's Playbook. It's actually a really a sort of a second volume of a book I wrote a few years ago go call that was called Game Changers, the greatest plays in New England Patriots history. Um, sort of add some of the stuff that's happened uh, since then, including the the, uh, the the you know the Butler pick in the Super Bowl Forty Nine. So uh, brings it right up to date. Thank you, Sean. Have a very good night, and definitely have you back on when the when the new book comes out. Wonderful. I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Nick. Have a good one. Take care. That was Sean Glennon, nationally acclaimed author, Tom Brady versus the NFL. You heard it here that he's going to have another tone coming out about the, his beloved New England Patriots. Got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this was a great show tonight. I want to thank J.P. Muzio, Eric DeWalt, Bernie Nichols, Rick Flieger, Sean Glennon for joining me this evening right here live on the Mad Scientist Sports Lab here on Blog Talk Radio, powered by Fantasy Sports Warehouse. But don't fret, ladies and gentlemen, just because I'll be leaving the airwaves tonight very soon doesn't mean you don't get to listen to me on a weekly basis. As everybody knows, not only is this show live here at my home on Fantasy Fantasy Sports Warehouse, 
but it's also syndicated on Arena Sportsnet, I-95 Sports and Entertainment, War Room Sports, the Happy Hour Network, Die Hard Sports Radio Network, the Sports Crave, Asylum Football Sports Network, and Nuts and Bolts Sports Network. So, ladies and gentlemen, on that note, I must bid the farewell this evening. Unfortunately, I have to erase the blackboard because I've got new experiments to put up. I have to tone down the beakers and make sure my that get they're ready for next week. But don't fret. Next Saturday night, April 18th, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, I will be back here, same time, same champ, to give you exactly what you So on that note, I say good night. I say farewell. The lab is officially closed. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Until next week, Mad Science, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Alex Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. Alex hopes you enjoyed the show. Please check us out every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern for our weekly talk show that will cover anything and everything. Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Chef George Morello Hour. Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern for our fun Saturday Night Live. And every other Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern for Cooking with Al Cardinelli, where you'll get tasty and delicious recipes. Share today's show on your Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus account by copying and pasting our show URL to your account so that your friends can listen to our awesome talk show. Have a great night. Alex Perinelli's show on 8th is now off the air. And show. podcast belongs to the ACE Network, Alice Cardinelli Entertainment Network. It may not be reused, redistributed without permission from Alice Cardinelli himself. This podcast was recorded live from the Springfield, Massachusetts studio and ACE Network.